A Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, if you've been listening to the news and the uh, road reports lately, I don't know if you've noticed, as I have, that uh, there have been a huge rash of accidents over the last few weeks. I mean, normally, you know, you hear about an accident or two down the south. Usually it's in the south. Um, but if you've been listening to the news, I mean, it's like everywhere. It's like a plague. And uh, uh, you know, even though our weather has been spectacular, has it not? And the roads are, are good. And so I was talking with some people about this, and they said, well, you know why that is. That's because people are in a hurry. They're rushing here and there to get ready for Christmas. I mean, you would think that things would slow down at Christmas. Not a chance. I mean, look, at, look around you, folks. I mean, does the person next to you look rested? <laughs> if he does, he's, it's probably because he's power napping right now. You know, just trying to recuperate from the chaos. The reality is things actually speed up during Christmas. For too many people, this time of year isn't a time of peace on earth. It's a time of madness. And you know, during the Christmas season, there's a lot of talk about peace. During this time of year, you hear song after song calling for peace in our world and in our relationships and in our homes. And yet there is so little peace. I'm reminded of the story of a mother who was working in her kitchen the day after Christmas. And she hears her son playing with, in the family room with his new train set uh, that he got for Christmas. And the train stops, and her, her son says, Okay, all you turkeys who want off, stop your loitering and collect your junk and get your tails off the train. And all you morons who want on, get your butts on the train now because we're leaving. Well, mom can't believe what she's hearing. And so she stomps into the living room and she says, Young man, we don't act rude in this house. Now you go to your room for about an hour, you check your attitude and the way that you're talking to your passengers. In an hour you can come back down and you can play with your train as long as you are polite. Well, he grudgingly and dutifully goes off to his room. About an hour later, his mother's still working in the kitchen when, she, when he comes out of his room and makes his way down to play with his train set. The train stops again, and she hears him say in very polite terms, All passengers who are thinking of disembarking the train, please remember to take all of your belongings. We thank you for riding with us today, and we do hope that your trip was a pleasant one. For those of you that are just boarding, we ask that you store your hand luggage under the seat, and we do hope that you enjoy your trip. For all of you who are ticked off about the hour delay, please see the grumpy old nag in the kitchen. You see, even in our homes, there is still so little peace. You know, since the beginning of recorded history, the entire world has been at peace less than 8% of the time. Even in countries like ours, which is considered a peaceful country, we know that people are often at war with one another on the freeways, in our workplaces, and of course in our homes. We all long for peace. 
But despite our longings and man's best efforts to bring peace, there is no peace on earth. And the reality is all the peace initiatives in the world won't solve what's wrong in our world. People think that what's wrong with our world is a government problem. Or they think what's wrong with our world is an economic problem or an educational problem or a judicial problem or a religious problem. And there is some truth to all of these. But what is fundamentally wrong in our world is we have a heart problem. Change the person and you will change the home. You change the home and you're going to begin to change the world. That's why Jesus came to earth to fill the world with peace one heart at a time. 750 years before Jesus arrived on earth, Isaiah gave the following prophecy concerning the Christ, concerning the coming Messiah. He said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These names that Isaiah gives describe who Jesus is. And among his many names, Isaiah says Jesus would be called the Prince of Peace. When Jesus arrived, the angels of God announced his birth in Luke chapter 2 with these words. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. Jesus came to change the world by changing us. He is the Prince of Peace because he came to bring the peace of God to our hearts. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And folks, even though that there is not peace on earth at the political or at the international level, it can happen on a personal level. Our economy may be in recession, yet you can still experience peace within. Your situation at work may be in turmoil, and yet you can still experience the peace of God within. Your marriage, your family, close friendships may be unraveling, but you can still experience the peace of God within. And that's what I want to talk to you about, how Jesus, the Prince of Peace, brings peace to our lives. Because he really will, if you will open up your life to him and trust him. To begin with, Jesus brings peace to our hearts by showing us the love of God. You know, I'm convinced that many people are not at peace within because they feel unloved, they feel unappreciated, and unaccepted. You check it out sometime, and you're going to be amazed at, at, at how much of our emotional health and how much of the health of our relationships is linked to our longing for love and for acceptance? I mean, haven't we all witnessed couples grow distant from one another or seen people grow sullen and pull away from their family or their small group of friends because somewhere along the way, rightly or wrongly, they concluded that they really didn't matter to these other people? The Bible says... We all have this hole in our soul, this deep yearning for intimacy. 
for love, for acceptance, for affirmation. And most people try to fill that hole through substitutes, counterfeit gods, like the accumulation of stuff, or the attainment of power, or attainment of a position, or through pleasure, sex, drugs, alcohol, or even through a relationship with family and friends. And yet the longing continues because true satisfaction cannot be found in the things that God made. It can only be found in the maker himself. The psalmist says, my soul finds rest in God alone. Only God's love satisfies because God's love isn't fickle. It doesn't change like human love does. Human love tends to wear out. Human love tends to give up. Human love is based on performance. You do good to those who do good to you. If you meet my expectations, then my love for you increases. If you don't meet my expectations, then my love for you decreases. That's human love. And friends, make no mistake, as long as you're looking for love and acceptance from other people, you will never really experience that inner godly peace because people are going to let you down. At one time or another, they're going to let you down, if in no other way, simply by leaving you through death. Not so our Heavenly Father's love. The Bible says that he is our rock, he is our fortress, that he will never leave us or forsake us because he is eternal. He is the eternal creator God and his love is for keeps. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God's love lasts forever, and it isn't a syrupy kind of love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He left the glory of heaven because, and, and became a man, and he died for us so that we might live forever. And it was all motivated out of his love for us. Friends, you really matter to God. And I want to remind you that you are not what your resume says you are. You are not what other people think you are. And you are not what your possessions or your stuff says that you are. No, you are first and foremost a precious and a loved child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Base your identity in anything or anyone else. And you will continue to battle with inner turmoil and frustration in your life and in your relationships. On the other hand, base your identity on who Jesus says you are. Embrace his love and acceptance for you by faith. And you're going to experience his peace within. Jesus brings peace by showing us the love of God. Furthermore, Jesus brings peace. By loving our world through us. Even though God loves you just the way that you are, he refuses to leave you that way. He wants to change your heart. He wants you to grow in love. He wants you to become more like Jesus Christ so he can change the world through you. In the same way that you desire your child to grow and reach his or her potential, so your heavenly Father wants you to reach your God-given potential. 
Max Lucado asks a most interesting question in his little booklet entitled, Just Like Jesus. And he actually follows it up with a series of questions. He writes this, what if for one day Jesus were to become you? What if for 24 hours Jesus wakes up in your bed, walks in your shoes, lives in your house, assumes your schedule? Your boss becomes his boss. Your mother becomes his mother. Your pains, his pains. Nothing about your life changes. Your health doesn't change. Your circumstances don't change. Your schedule isn't altered. Your problems aren't solved. Only one change occurs. Your heart gets the day off, and Jesus lives your life with his heart. His priorities govern your actions. His passions drive your decisions. His love directs your behavior. What would you be like? Would people notice a change? Your spouse, your family, would they see something new? Your friends, your co-workers, would they detect more joy? What about the less fortunate? Would you treat them the same? How about your enemies? Would they receive more mercy and grace? What alterations would this transplant have on your attitude in life? Would you still dread what you're dreading? Would you see sunsets differently? Would you see death differently? Would you see taxes differently? How about your reaction to traffic delays? In whatever way you imagine that your life would change, that is what God desires for you to be and what God desires for you to do. The closer you get to Jesus Christ, the more the character, the life of Jesus will be lived through you. And he wants to empower you to live that way. Philippians 2, 5 says, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. He died. He humbled himself. Took on human flesh. Died on a cursed cross. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. In other words, God's saying, my desire is for you, that, that you would think and you would act like Jesus, that the life of Jesus would ooze through your life. Now, folks, I don't need to tell you that if all of us had the attitude of Jesus Christ, and if we all lived, and if we all loved like Jesus, true peace would not only invade our lives, but it would invade our world. But this won't happen just sitting around thinking about it or talking about it. It's going to require putting our trust in Jesus and inviting him into our lives. And I say that because you can't give what you don't have. 
You can't love like Jesus. You can't live like Jesus if the love and the life of Jesus is not in you. When Jesus is given permission to invade your life, he will change your heart. And he will change your attitude. He'll change everything in your life the same way that he's changed the lives of multiple millions of people down through history, including thousands who are part of this church. A few weeks ago, Don approached me for prayer after a service. Actually, it was a few years ago, not a few weeks ago. His marriage had fallen apart. He had a lot of anger in his heart. He knew the path that he was on was laced with despair and destruction. He had no answers. He'd heard about our church. He began attending. He began looking for answers. And God began to speak to him through the scriptures and also began to soften him and began to change his heart through the influence of one of our members. Here is Don and Jennifer's story. Just have a listen. We met in the pool at the Vancouver YMCA. Jen was uh, a coach there and I was um, part of the swimming team. Our first date was fun. It was very relaxing. It was easy to be around Jen. I don't even remember, I don't think I even cared what movie was playing. I just wanted to spend time with him and to kind of discover who he was. Oh yeah, I thought she was very attractive. She was beautiful. But I just thought, wow, he's really cute. After the first date, I called her every day just to say hi and see how she was doing. When he called, he used to call me every day around lunchtime, and I really liked that. Don proposed by taking me out to dinner. Next thing I knew, he put a box in front of me, so it was a nice surprise. I said yes. We started having trouble in our marriage when our first child came along. It was very stressful. Um, Brian, our, um, our son, was colicky, and I didn't do well with that. So when, when Don would come home, he would get angry. Um, it, it would scare me. Um, Jen would be very quiet when I got angry. I don't think we communicated very well. Um, I felt very callous when I got angry, and it's, um, it's not an easy thing to admit because it, um, um, it's embarrassing. I know that um, the way that I was behaving, the anger that was in my heart was driving Jen away. I left on March 25th, it was a Friday, uh, 2004. Earlier that day, um, I went over to the club that we're members at and I, um, I found that Jen was um, spending time with this fellow. Well, when he came home that night, it was, uh, he, he was angry. I know that um, the way that I was behaving, the anger that was in my heart was driving Jen away. She had closed up her, her spirit and um, she just, uh, she couldn't keep her heart open any longer because it was just too hard. And I knew he wasn't gonna come home and when he walked out that door, it felt like someone reached in and took my heart 
and just crushed it. Um, I was terrified. I didn't want him to go. I loved my husband. That was very hard. Two years after I left, our divorce was final. I uh, ended up uh, dating this, this other fellow and, um, you know, it all seemed really good and we seemed really happy and, and everything on the surface, but it was torture. Inside, it was torture for me. I was not happy. If I were to describe it, 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 was, um, it was a scary time. It's like I had to go to that place to release the poison and the pain from my heart. And um, I, I found that through that, um, that is one of a few places that I, I met Jesus that uh, it helped me to, um, to soften my heart. Like he softened my heart, not me. He saw, he changed my heart. Uh, my relationship with God was not very good. Uh, I was very angry with God. It was at that point that I laid down and I said, okay, God, I lay it down. I give up. What is it you need me to do? What do I need to do? I want you back in my life. I called Dawn, and I was just beside myself. I asked her, point blank, I asked her, um, what is it that you want, Jen? And she repeated to me that I want my family back. And he said, well, then let's do it. Let's get our family back. And I remember feeling like my legs gave out on me. I was totally shocked um, because I knew I'd hurt him very deeply. Um, and I didn't know if I could ever make up for that hurt that I have done. And for him to want to trust me, to put our family back together, I knew that was God. It was at that point I said, God, I'll do what you need me to do. And when Don said, let's get our family back, I said, are you for sure? Like, do you really mean that? And he said, Jen, I never stopped loving you. And I believed him uh, because I'd never stopped loving him. So we got married two weeks later out in the mountains by the river in uh, Canmore. God has taken the anger and the pain out of my heart and he's put himself in there. I've opened those doors and allowed him in there. And I still on occasion will get frustrated and get angry, but it's it's nowhere near what it was before. And I have him to go to and to talk it through with him and reason it out. Our relationship is very different now. Um, it's more, I think, maybe what we wanted or perhaps more what God intended it to be. The anger that Don has is gone. He's completely changed. He's become more the guy that I fell in love with. Um, I think more the person that God intended him to be. I'm just so glad that God has placed it in my heart to love and honor and to cherish this, this beautiful lady that he's blessed me with. There's no better feeling than that get your family, have your family back again. Um, only God could have done that. I will call Jen sometime <laughs> during the day, and she usually doesn't answer because she's busy, and I will leave a message that I just called to tell you, honey, that I love you. Goodbye.
Now, folks, it doesn't always turn out that way because we live in a broken world. We live in a world that God never intended when he first created the planet and us in it. It's a broken world, and people can still make selfish choices and still make self-centered choices. But this is the kind of change that Jesus came to bring, and it's the kind of change that he can bring. When we invite Jesus to invade our lives, he will not only bring peace to our hearts, but he will begin to live his joy and his peace, his patience, his gentleness, his kindness through us. And when he changes us, we begin to change and we begin to have a transforming effect on the relationships around us. But make no mistake, as important as it is to invite Jesus into your life, you will only experience God's peace and victory in your life on a daily basis to the extent that you obey him. In 1 John 2, 3, it says this, we know that we have come to know him, we've come to know Jesus, if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. This scripture is saying that unless you obey the Lord, you won't experience his peace because your heart really hasn't changed. You are still the Lord of your life. It's still your agenda, your selfish desires that are front and center in your life. You see, it wasn't until Don and Jennifer yielded to Christ's leadership in their lives and did what he called them to do by choosing to love and to forgive each other the way that he asked them to, that they in turn received the peace of God in their own lives and in their relationship. Steve May says, people want God's peace, but they also want to cling to their pride and to their favorite sins. We want God's peace, but we want to be free to gossip or to lie or to cheat. We want God's peace, but we want to be free to slander other people or to get even with those who have hurt us. We want God's peace, but we want to keep spending ourselves into senseless debt. We want God's peace, but we want to cheat on our spouse or our girlfriend or indulge our sexual fantasies. We want God's peace, but we don't want to treasure our spouse or be kind to our spouse or serve our spouse or stop criticizing our spouse. In short, we want God's peace. We just don't want to do what he says. And what I'm telling you folks is you can't have one without the other. If you aren't prepared to humble yourself and put your complete trust in Jesus, if you aren't prepared to submit to his leadership in your life and with his help to be who he calls you to be and to do what he calls you to do, your cry for peace is just a bunch of hot air. It's just a bunch of clanging cymbals. There is no peace in your life or in your world as long as you're just going to insist on being Lord and King of your own life. On the other hand, every time you choose to honor someone above yourself, every time you choose to forgive and refuse to harbor bitterness, every time you choose to be patient, gentle, and kind, 
Every time you choose to serve and to care about others rather than yourself, every time you release that white-knuckle grip on your stuff and become a generous person, in short, every time, with God's help, you make a decision to live and to love like Jesus, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, will begin to change your heart and use you to bring peace to your world. Now, perhaps you're longing for peace in your life, in your marriage, your family, some other relationship. But you've lost all hope of that ever happening. You believe it's too late because there's been too much hurt, because you've blown it just too many times. Friends, I want to tell you about one more way that Jesus brings peace to our lives. He brings peace not only by showing the love of God to us, he brings us peace not only by loving the world through us, but thirdly, he brings peace by extending his grace and his forgiveness to us. Let me ask you, are you chained to some regret, desperately wishing that you could press the rewind button and do it over again? Is there some dark secret or regret from your past that's just eating away at you? Are you convinced that there is no hope for a new start in your marriage or your family or some other relationship, that it's too late for a better tomorrow? Lee Strobel tells a story about a man named Ron who had no hope for a better tomorrow. Ron grew up in a troubled, loveless home in Chicago, and he soon began to take out his anger on others. He was only eight when he was hauled into juvenile court for throwing a hammer at someone's head. He soon dropped out of school, got into drugs. He quickly rose to second in command to a brutal street gang called the Bel Airs, which terrorized parts of Chicago back in the 70s. When Ron was 21, a fellow named Bob from a rival Chicago gang called the Gaylords badly beat up one of Ron's closest friends, and Ron vowed revenge. So he got a gun, and he went into Gaylord territory to go and to kill Bob. He couldn't find Bob, but he happened to run into Bob's brother Gary, and so he decided he'd pay back Bob by killing his brother instead. Ron chased Gary down. He shot him in the back, and as Gary fell on the sidewalk, Ron came over to him and he turned him over and even as Gary was pleading for his life without an ounce of compassion, Ron put the gun to Gary's face and pulled the trigger. Fortunately for Gary, Ron's gun was out of bullets. All he heard was a big click. Then Ron heard a siren and took off. Now, it didn't take long for police to figure out that it was Ron who had shot Gary. They issued a warrant for his arrest for attempted murder. The last thing that Ron wanted was to spend 20 years in the penitentiary, and so he and his girlfriend packed up, got out of Chicago, and headed west. They ended up in Portland, Oregon, where Ron found work at a place that had a number of Christian employees. Over time, he was drawn to these Christians. He wanted to know what they had that he didn't have. 
he felt God beginning to reach out to him. And after hearing about who Jesus was and why Jesus came, he humbled himself. He embraced Jesus as his forever friend. God's peace entered into his life. His life began to change dramatically. His girlfriend became a Christ follower. They got married, had a little girl named Olivia. Ron became active in church and was respected by all who knew him in the community. But something began to bother him. Yes, he was now reconciled with God. But he knew he still wasn't reconciled with society. There was still a worn out for his rest. And even though no one was looking for him and he could have lived out the rest of his days in the Portland area, he felt that, that the only honest thing to do was to give himself up and face the time for his crime which would mean him spending 20 years in prison away from his wife, his daughter, and all of his good friends. Despite knowing this, he still decided to honor his Lord and to do the right thing. And so he returned to Chicago. He turned himself in. And later he told the judge, Judge, I did it. I shot Gary and I intended to kill him. I know it was wrong and I'm sorry. But I can no longer live a lie because you see, I'm a Christian now. I've got to come clean about this. Lee Strobel was an atheist at the time. This was one of the things, this is one of the instances that God used to really speak to his heart. Strobel says he was there to cover the story. And he says an unbelievable thing happened next. He said the judge looked over the bench and said, I could send you to the penitentiary. In fact, I ought to send you to the pen for what you did. But I don't think you're a threat to society anymore. Your attitude in life has obviously changed and based on the way that you've been living these past years, I think it's true that you're a new man. So Ron, I'm not going to send you to the pen. I'm going to let you go free. Go home to your family, Ron, and keep being a blessing to them and to your community the way that you've been. And he was set free. Now, folks, Ron deserved to pay for his crime. That's what justice is, getting what you deserve. And yet that judge gave Ron what he didn't expect and definitely what he didn't deserve. He showed him grace. It was the same kind of grace and forgiveness that Ron himself received from Jesus years earlier by faith, which freed him not only from the incredible regrets of his own past, but it changed his heart, it changed his attitude, and the entire trajectory of his life and also his eternity. And folks, I share that story with you just to remind you that regardless of your regrets, regardless of how hopeless you may feel about your circumstances, regardless of how unworthy you may feel to be forgiven, if you ask Jesus, he will extend grace and forgiveness to you too. Colossians 2.14 says he has forgiven all of our sins and canceled every record we owed. Christ has done away with it 
by nailing it to the cross. Jesus Christ took your place and my place on the cross and he allowed himself to be nailed on the cross so that we could stop nailing or trying to nail ourselves to the cross. Romans 8.1 says, this is, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus came not to condemn you, but to change you. To give you the opportunity to start over again and to live the life that he's always wanted you to live from the beginning. But you see, all of that won't mean a thing unless you do what Ron did. Unless you own up to your sin and you humble yourself and you say something like this to God. It's true, Lord, I have broken your laws. In fact, your greatest law is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And God, I certainly haven't done that. And yes, Lord, I deserve to pay for my sins. But Lord, I am so sorry and I want to turn around. I want to go the other way so that I can have a vibrant daily relationship with you. I want your peace and I want to live the way that you want me to. And you know, on the authority of God's word, if you pray a prayer something like that, Jesus is going to look back at you and he's going to say something like, you're right. You are guilty of sin. You're guilty of rebellion against me. But because I love you, I've already served the sentence that you deserved. Because I love you, I've already paid on the cross for every evil deed and every evil thought you'll ever have. And based on your confession, I will set you free. Free to be adopted into my forever family. Free to enjoy a relationship that begins right now and will continue for all of eternity. Friend, the question is not, will God forgive you for what you have done? The Bible makes it very clear that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The issue is, will you accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers you? The question is not, can God turn your life around? Can he heal your marriage, restore your family or some other relationship? We know that he can. The deeper question is, will you like Don and Jennifer and, and, and Ron, will you open your life to God and let him change you first by admitting that you have a pride problem and a sin problem and ask him to forgive you and to invade your life and to give you a new heart, his heart. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to close with a prayer, not unlike the one that I prayed years ago. A prayer that changed my heart, my life, my eternity. If you desire that, if you want God's peace, if you want to become a friend and a follower of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Please pray this prayer with me right now. You don't have to pray it out loud. The Lord knows your thoughts. The important thing is, is that you pray it, that you, that you mean it from the heart. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, I've come to realize that I have a heart problem that's messing up my relationship with you, but also with others. I want to thank you for sending Jesus, for living the life that I should have lived, for dying the death I should have died so that I can be set free from the regrets, the sins of my past and receive power for the present and assurance of life forever with you in heaven. Please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and change my heart, Lord. Change my character. Make me into the person that you want me to be. Use my life, Lord, to bring peace in the life of whoever it is I come across. Use it, Lord, to bring hope where there is despair. Use my life, Lord, to bring love where there is apathy or hate. Use my love, life, Lord, to bring peace where there's conflict. I love you, Lord. I trust you. And I intend to follow you wherever it is you lead. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. With all heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to say a word to those of you who may have prayed a prayer like this somewhere in your past. But looking back on it now, you have to admit that you just kind of crossed the line of faith with one foot. You've been straddling the fence. And as a result, you've been sitting there wondering why so little has changed in your life and why there's so little peace in your life. Friend, if there's nothing else you take home with you today, please remember what I'm about to say. There is only one way one way to experience all that Jesus has for you and that is to give him all of you holding nothing back jumping in with both feet there just isn't another way if you're prepared to jump in with both feet to take Jesus at his word I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me Heavenly Father, I've been so occupied with my agenda, with my stuff, I've stopped listening to your voice and following you. And even when I've heard your voice, I've been afraid to step out and to carry out what you've called me to do. Lord, I want to experience your peace and your joy by living the life that you created me to live, by engaging in the adventure that you created me to live. Lord, I, I surrender my life to you. And I ask, Lord, that you would fill me completely with your spirit. That you would live your life of love, of joy and peace through me. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. The scripture says, As a result of this step of faith you've taken, the old is gone. The new has come. Christ has taken all of our regrets and sin. And that's been placed upon him. And in turn, he has given us his perfect righteousness. We wish you a Christ-filled Christmas and God's very best for the coming year. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and 
be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God be with you.